You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcasts, and I have Tamar Mohammed. He's the CEO of Aspect Biosystems, and their website is aspectbiosystems.com. So, Tamar, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so, tell me about uh, Aspect. What's the premise of the company? Uh, so, Aspect is a biotechnology company. Uh, we're based in Vancouver, Canada, uh, and we're working towards enabling the creation of human tissues on demand using our 3D printing technology. Hmm. So, uh, human tissue, just to give people an idea, how many different, well, first of all, what constitutes the tissue, um, and then how many different types of tissue are there in the human body, for instance? Yeah, uh, so uh, that's that's a good question. Uh, what uh, we've developed that aspect uh, is, is a platform technology. So we spun out of the University of British Columbia here in Vancouver uh, about five years ago. Um, that uh, technology that we brought into the company was a broadly applicable 3D printing technology that is capable of producing a variety of different tissues. Um, and so our focus that aspect has uh, been to use that platform to create tissues for uh, drug development, so building tools for therapeutic discovery, uh, as well as transplantable tissues. Some of the tissues that we're focusing on uh, internally in the company include uh, a knee meniscus tissue for transplantation. So this is a fibrocartilage tissue in the knee that is very commonly damaged. Uh, we're also developing a uh, portfolio of muscle tissue, including uh, intestinal muscle tissue, cardiac tissue, skeletal tissue, uh, and, and smooth muscle uh, tissue. Uh, we have a liver program that is focused on developing a uh, liver uh, drug testing platform for pharmaceutical discovery, uh, as well as a pancreatic tissue program for the treatment of type 1 diabetes. Uh, but we also work closely with academic partners around the world. We give them access to our platform uh, to develop uh, other applications. Uh, we see this really as our innovation pipeline. And so we have researchers around the world focusing on kidney tissue, skin tissue, vascular tissue. Wow. Uh, and so this is really our strategy around trying to unlock the broad applicability of our platform without without defocusing internally. We, we like to work with, with our strategic partners around the world. Yes, I've, I've spoken to a few people about 3D printing, you know, organs or tissue. I guess some of the major issues is that you have to make sure the tissue is vascularized. I guess uh, what's, what's the maximum distance that any given cell can be away from like a blood supply in order for it to live? It's a metric, I think it's like a millimeter or less, or I don't know. It, it seems to be that's a big roadblock to doing this. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I think uh, when when you look at sort of what, what's been reported on the literature, you'll often kind of see that there's a couple hundred micron 
sort of limitation. Uh, and uh, really what that, that is is kind of a, uh, about double the thickness of kind of a human hair, uh, just to put that into, into perspective. Um, but, uh, but we've been uh, focusing on uh, really innovative strategies to vascularize our tissue. Uh, and so we have uh, the ability at Aspect to uh, create what we call uh, hollow uh, fiber technology. Uh, and so really what this allows us to do is to pattern in uh, hollow features within our structure so that we can run materials uh, through through these uh, tissues and, and ultimately uh, not just keep them alive, but simulate a more physiological type environment. And so uh, an example of, of us using that technology is through a partnership that we announced uh, in, in November of last year with JSR in Japan to create a vascularized liver tissue. And so we'll be using uh, this technology to, to perfuse uh, essentially uh, living functional uh, liver, uh, liver tissue. Uh, so that's, that's one area that we're, uh, we're actively sort of uh, employing our vascular technology, but we also have, have other strategies in the company and we collaborate with uh, folks uh, that, that are interested in this area and have expertise in this area. Uh, one example of that is a partnership we have with uh, UCLA uh, in California, where uh, they have access to our platform and are essentially developing vascular uh, technology. Uh, but there's also a lot of other tissues uh, in the body that um, uh, that aren't well vascularized, uh, which uh, makes them uh, uh, not tissues that are are, are good uh, when when you have an injury. Uh, but also makes it easy uh, to, I guess, tackle uh, from from an engineering perspective. So an example of that is right. the meniscus tissue. Uh, so the meniscus tissue is uh, not a very well vascularized tissue. It's a uh, tissue that uh, is uh, one of the most commonly damaged parts of the knee. And then once the damage occurs, it doesn't get better over time. Uh, it just gets worse and worse, uh, largely in part because it isn't well vascularized. Uh, and so uh, current strategies include meniscectomies, where a surgeon will go in and try to remove uh, the damaged parts, or in some extreme cases, they'll remove the entire part of uh, the entire meniscus. Um, that, that'll alleviate acute pain, but often introduce arthritis in the knee. Uh, and so that's an example of uh, an application where we believe the science is there. We believe our technology brings unique value, and it's, it's not a vascularized issue. And so that's a, a program that was conceived with uh, Johnson & Johnson, uh, and, and, and we're very excited to move that program uh, forward uh, and ultimately try to make an impact on on clinical uh, care with this. So, what's the uh, the hierarchy? What's the easiest, lowest hanging fruit tissues? Which I know is a weird metaphor, but and then what you know, what are the harder ones and the harder ones, and what's like the hardest ones that probably will take the longest to get anywhere to to make? Yeah, that aspect we we kind of really don't think of it in terms of um, a, a future where we will be printing large functional organs and and we're a at a path towards uh, trying to do that. Our goal really is to create advanced living tissue therapeutics. And what I mean by that is uh, we might not have to recreate an entire organ uh, just like we, we understand these organs in terms of how they look and, and how they function exactly. What our goal is to do is to use living biology, use our 3D printing technology to almost create these smart living devices that we could implant into the body uh, to uh, essentially uh, take over function that has been lost. Um, and so from, from that perspective, um, uh, there are a lot of possibilities. So the meniscus is one example. Another example of a program that we're working on is a, a pancreatic tissue patch. And so this is a patch that will be vascularized, would include 
uh, uh, insulin-producing beta cells uh, and would uh, be targeted for patients with type 1 diabetes. Uh, so that patch will look nothing like a pancreas, um, uh, but, uh, but it will provide a very necessary function. Um, uh, all of these opportunities have their own challenges, um, but, but we believe kind of uh, the goal of creating these living tissue therapeutics is a much more uh, realistic uh, vision than, than the vision of trying to create uh, a lung that looks exactly like a lung or a heart that looks exactly like the heart and is the same size of, of, of the heart. And so, so with that perspective right. in mind, we actually yeah. see a lot of opportunities uh, right now uh, that, that we're targeting. And, and we always start with the question of where is the area of unmet medical need? Uh, and then right. work our way backwards right. to where our technology could provide value. Um, that's that's kind of our perspective on that. All right. Um, so let's get into maybe some mechanics. So when you're going to 3D print tissue, are you printing a scaffolding and then you're placing cells as you print, or you just do a scaffolding first? Like mechanistically, how does it work to produce various tissues? Yeah. Um, so the traditional approach to tissue engineering involves doing exactly what you described, which is build a scaffold first and then seed cells uh, on top. Uh, and there are certainly uh, opportunities with that strategy, uh, but there's also a limited control. Uh, you can imagine if uh, you're trying to create a multicellular type construct with heterogeneous properties, uh, it would be very difficult to do that if, if you employed kind of a strategy like this. And so what we do uh, at Aspect is uh, we've developed a microfluidic technology uh, that allows us to take in multiple different input materials. So these are cells, scaffolds, growth factors, uh, extracellular matrix content. We take all of these compounds and we could combine them uh, to form this uh, cell-loaded fiber that we pattern in 3D to create our, our, our tissues. And so the cells are actually embedded uh, in, in the scaffold. Uh, they're embedded in this biomaterial fiber that we dispense and pattern in 3D. And so we're able through this microfluidic approach to really create this multicellular, uh, this multi-material uh, heterogeneity uh, that is really important uh, in, in tissue engineering. Yeah, and how do you, again, how do you achieve vascularization? If you seed, you know, a scaffolding with cells and then the cells start growing into it, you know, how do you control where the cells will go and where they won't go? And, you know, how do you make sure they leave room and, you know, uh, the vascularization, how do you make sure it occurs along the tubules of the paths you want it to occur and not just not occur or randomly occur in the wrong spot? That's a good question. And and so uh, one, one uh, sort of uh, embodiment of our technology involves not, not creating solid fibers, uh, but creating hollow fibers. And we can actually cellularize the shell uh, of that hollow fiber. And so what comes out of our printer uh, is actually uh, a blood vessel-like construct, and we can pattern that uh, by design. Uh, so that's, that's one strategy. The other strategy is uh, relying on biology, like you mentioned, to do, uh, to do the magic in terms of seeding cells in the right uh, environment or putting the structure in the right environment and letting uh, that, that vascularization uh, manifest. And so I, I think ultimately it will be a combination of both, uh, putting in the right blood vessel-like features, uh, providing the right environment, the right growth factors for uh, the overall kind of vascularization strategy that is that is necessary. How much? Uh, how often have you, um, you know, put cells onto a, a matrix or a scaffolding and then, you know, let them grow on their own and they've done all kinds of interesting patterns or seem to have a a behavior that was 
I don't know, surprising or amazing to you? Like, do they, your cells seem to, I, I mean, they must operate by some, a code that we don't understand is what I'm saying. You know, in order to build an organ with a particular architecture. So do you see that when they're placed onto a, a 3D scaffolding that they behave in predictable ways? And I mean, what does that look like? Can you say more about that? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Uh, I think uh, really what uh, we, we like to look at 3D bioprinting really as 4D uh, uh, bioprinting uh, with the fourth dimension being time. Uh, after you print your construct, um, all you have done is built a tissue precursor in the sense you put in all of the right ingredients in, in what you think is the right location, but you really need time uh, and the right conditions uh, to to sort of uh, uh, um, uh, take your tissue to where where you where you want it to go or where you think you need to go, uh, and so that is often the case uh, with with uh, with all of our tissues. Is uh, we'll set up a a multicellular tissue precursor and we'll let it develop. Uh, and uh, sometimes we have to go back to the drawing board uh, and, uh, and 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 sort of change uh, our our tissue precursor to get the intended result, but um, it's it's really beautiful to see uh, how the cells uh, really uh, do their magic. Uh, a lot of times it is magic because we may not understand it all. I think our understanding is getting better and better. Uh, there may be a day where we could understand that transfer function uh, from, from printing all the way up to tissue. Has what if you could learn about the ketogenic diet and metabolic therapy from the world's top scientists, physicians, and influencers in a four-day experience co-hosted by Dr. Dominic D'Agostino who's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. If you want to hear about the latest scientific evidence on nutrition and metabolism and its potential to treat disease, increase longevity, improve athletic performance, and yes, help with weight loss, Metabolic Health Summit is for you. Some of the speakers include Dominic D'Agostino, PhD, Mark Sisson, Suzanne Ryan of Keto Karma, Thomas Seyfried, uh, who studies metabolism and cancer, Aubrey Marcus, Georgia Ede, MD, Matt and Mega of Keto Connect, and many, many more speakers. At this conference, we're going to dive into the research and learn how to apply it during real-world applications with four days of presentations. There'll be nightly receptions with keto-friendly drinks and appetizers. There'll be a scientific poster session that includes the latest research on ketosis, human optimization, and more. And there'll be new innovative products at the Metabolic Health Summit Keto Expo. You'll get to network with some of the world's most brilliant minds at the Metabolic Health Summit VIP Mixer and Gala Dinner. For physicians, this activity is jointly provided by Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and the Metabolic Health Initiative. Cedars-Sinai is accredited by ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. Earn up to 21 and a half AMA PRA Category 1 credits by attending. If you're a registered dietitian, this event has received prior approval by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics for 18 CPEs. Visit metabolichealthsummit.com or click on the banner and get your tickets before they're gone because it's coming soon. Remember, it's in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. We are only weeks away. This is a must-not-miss seminar. Develop. Uh, one example tissue that, that we've developed that I think is a good example of this is uh, our airway smooth muscle tissues. And so, so in this project, our goal uh, was uh, to work closely with a pharmaceutical company to 
um, build uh, a model of airway smooth muscle contraction uh, for their uh, their their asthma uh, program. Uh, so in this project, we printed these tubular structures about five millimeters in diameter, a couple millimeters high, and it was printed using primary airway smooth muscle cells. So these are cells obtained from real donor organs. Uh, and so these are the cells that uh, wrap around their airways. And during an asthma attack, histamine is released and it causes these muscle tissues to contract and reducing airflow. And so asthma patients have trouble breathing. Uh, so, so we printed these tubular constructs using those very same cells uh, then we uh, printed them. It takes about 30 seconds to print, and uh, and 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 we let them develop over time, and and you, we could start to see the muscles actually forming uh, uh, really beautiful alignment, uh, uh, circumferential uh, alignment, and and when we add uh, compounds like histamine, we can actually see the tissue uh, contract, and we can measure that contraction. Then we took anti-asthma therapeutics and dosed these tissues, and we began to see them relax. Uh, and so that's an example of immediately after printing, we won't get that response, but uh, putting these tissues under the right conditions and, and, and leaving them to develop over time, we start to get functional functional tissues. Uh, and these tissues are providing real valuable insights in the development of novel therapeutics. Hmm. So what are some of the surprises you've encountered in your work? Things that you saw happen that you're like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, that's, that's, that's a good question. I think... Uh, I mean, we're consistently, uh, I guess, pleasantly surprised. Uh, I think one one of sort of the, uh, uh, I guess, the powers of, of our approach is we, we essentially have many degrees of freedom to integrate many different types of cells and many different types of materials. Uh, and so what that, that really means is we start to see some interesting uh, um, uh, interaction uh, between between these different materials. Mm-hmm. An example of that is, uh, in, in the meniscus tissue. Uh, so the meniscus tissue um, is, is not a homogeneous tissue. It's made up of many different types of materials. And so we've seen that if we try to print that construct with a single uh, material, uh, we, we don't get the necessary mechanical properties uh, that, uh, that are necessary um, uh, for, for the function of that tissue. But when we start to employ different materials in different regions, we start to get the necessary tensile and compressive strength that, that is so important for a tissue like the meniscus. So um, so I, I would say uh, I've always been uh, pleasantly kind of surprised to see uh, our technology uh, demonstrating the value of, of multi-material capabilities. So is, is every tissue in the body more complicated than first meets the eye? Is that the message here? Uh, it is. Uh, tissues are complex and we need sophisticated technologies to, to attempt to recreate uh, these these tissues. If you look at something like the lung, it contains over 40 different cell types, all highly wow. differentiated. Uh, it contains different cell densities, different materials um, like ECM and growth factors. So um, we really need a technology that could handle all of these different types of materials. What you get with 3D printing is structural design flexibility, but you don't necessarily get compositional design flexibility. That's that's what we get with the microfluidics. Microfluid, what microfluidics is really good at is manipulation of materials and fluids. And so, by marrying microfluidics uh, with 3D printing, uh, we get we get uh, a technology that is um, flexible, not just from a structural perspective in terms of creating very complex architectures, but also um, a, a compositionally flexible uh, platform. So, so we, and that's really important in tissue engineering, more so than just standard 3D printing, where 
you could uh, create a variety of different products with with a single uh, a single material. Are you able to, um, you know, using time lapse and using other assays to study how cells uh, integrate themselves into a, you know, like a three D matrix that you, you'd create, or is it is it hard to get the resolution on what's going on, like how the cell is? You know, preferentially dividing and differentiating and going in one direction versus another and making patterns. And, you know, like, have you been able to observe cells closely, as close as you want? And have you seen any any tricks or tips that's helping you with the 3D printing side of it? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a standard part of our validation of our tissues and, and monitoring kind of the development of these tissues. Uh, it's amazing how far... Uh, Microscopy and, and and imaging has come uh, to the point where we can really observe uh, tissues uh, at, uh, at at the lowest of, of levels, and so uh, that's a standard part uh, of our validation. We also look at other ways of monitoring development and function. We look at uh, genomic analysis, uh, phenotypic analysis. Uh, we'll look at functional endpoints. Uh, so, for example, like the meniscus, uh, our goal was to uh, look at tensile and compressive strength. So we actually built simulators that uh, actually allow us to to, to uh, essentially simulate uh, different different forces and, and measure that. Um, uh, with the airway muscle tissues, we we can look at uh, these tissues contracting uh, using a video microscopy. Um, so yeah, I, I think because of that dimensional part of of what we're doing here, uh, that uh, that temporal dimension uh, rather. Um, it becomes important to, like you said, monitor um, changes over over time because it is in a static environment. Hmm. So, um, what's possible right now in terms of uh, tissue engineering, and what's you know ahead in the you know the near future, the far future? So, the near being, you know, what's possible now, then maybe in a year from now, and then maybe five years from now. What do you see as as happening? Yeah, so I, I mean, uh, technology like bioprinting is only as good as the science that we understand. Uh, science of stem cell engineering and, and biomaterials. And so the great news is we understand uh, a lot about those different areas. And so as a result, we there are a variety of different applications that, that we're pursuing at Aspect and, and others are pursuing that are really exciting. Things like the meniscus, things like the pancreatic tissue patch, using tissues for drug development. Um, but the even more exciting thing is uh, a technology uh, like like ours um, is, is is just going to get better and better over time. So I think um, in the future uh, you'll start to see uh, very complex multicellular sort of tissue therapeutics um, that that are providing multifunctional sort of uh, purposes inside of the body. Uh, maybe the the first set of tissues will be uh, single function, uh, something like the pancreatic patch that monitors uh, glucose in the blood and, and releases insulin. Uh, as a result, but maybe in the future we could start to see multicellular uh, or multifunctional type tissues that uh, that are doing much much more than 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 that. And uh, so I think uh, the the future uh, for for a technology like this is is very very exciting. I think what the industry needs more than anything is is, is success stories. Uh, so I think it's very important to uh, uh, use the science that we have right now to develop real tissue products and use that as uh, a success story that could uh, give the whole industry uh, confidence to tackle on more and more, um, uh, rather than uh, choosing maybe the most complicated uh, opportunity where the science may be not fully understood uh, and risk uh, a, a, a catastrophic failure, for example, that could set us back. 
so for those types of applications, we work with our academic partners through uh, what we call our academic discovery ecosystem. Uh, we let the science mature and develop. And once we feel it is ready to uh, enter into uh, more advanced uh, commercial stages of development, we work with our academic partners to uh, to do that. And so, for example, we, we have an opportunity in the, in the kidney space. It was a collaboration launched at the University of Maastricht. This is an area that we think there still needs to be some incubation and academic sort of maturation of that application before we decide to take that on uh, with, with our academic partners. And so that's that's why we pursued that in, in the research space. Um, yeah. So again, I don't mean to put this very crudely, but is one way to look at what you do like a, a tissue Band-Aid, you know, like the pancreas would be like a, you know, a beta cell Band-Aid, you slap on the pancreas and now you can produce insulin and, you know, the meniscus, would that be a, uh, you know, I guess like a, a mini transplant or a uh, a slathering on of the, uh, or an implant of uh, a meniscus tissue that would grow and make a new knee meniscus? Is that a way to put it? Yeah, that's that's definitely one way, one way to put it. Uh, but uh, no, I definitely like how you're thinking. It's really uh, we're, what we're doing is we're printing advanced living therapeutics or devices, or you could call them bandages. Uh, but but I think uh, definitely our goal is not just to create uh, large functional uh, organs, just like we uh, understand them and know them uh, from 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 inside of our body. It's it's right. it's, it's exactly kind of what you're talking about. Is it? Um, do you think you can improve upon what's in the body, or is it so complicated and so evolved that you know, we're, we should just be happy to approximate it or copy what's going on in the body in a given tissue. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, topic altogether. Uh, I think uh, I think if we can do what uh, what evolution and, and what biology is capable of doing, I think there's just so much more value there. Uh, and uh, and and so that's 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 our target is is how do we use biology? We see biology as our friend, so we don't want to start forming enemies with biology. Uh, so, so biology is our friend. Uh, we're trying to use biology right now to 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 help to help uh, people. Uh, so that's that's the focus. Okay. And then, um, you know, you know, this is just guesses, but is any of this technology in clinical trials, and will people be able to have these therapies in the near future? You know, like, will I be able to get a meniscus? You know, can I get a meniscus grown and put into my knee? Like I tore my AC twenty some years ago. So, um, an example of what you're talking about. So. You think in the next few years, or it's going to be longer that I can get a, you know, for instance, a meniscus transplant of something that's grown in the lab? Yeah, and uh, I mean, your your case uh, really touches home, as as with many others. Like these are a real world things that, that we're working on, and the impact could be pretty big on on on, on people that that we all know uh, in in in, a, in our inner circle. Even everybody, especially here in Vancouver, people are often <laughs> falling down the mountains. Uh, on, on the ski hills, that's tearing their meniscus, and so it, it really touches home uh, for for us. Uh, we are several years away. Uh, this is still uh, in in development, uh, and it, it's very hard with things like biology to give very deterministic uh, timelines. But I definitely think within the next decade, we will start to see um, commercial and clinical uh, um, uh, realizations of of three D bioprinting. Uh, so, uh, so, and and in the in the biotech world, uh, that's that's like tomorrow, uh, and so so that's that's what's mm. exciting. All right, well, very good. So, um, what's the uh, best way for folks to reach out and contact you, and you know, get more information? Um, you know, do you have a video on 
3D printing looks like or how, uh, you know, cells grow into a matrix or any any other resources for listeners that want to learn more? Yeah, the best way uh, to, to learn more is uh, visit our website, uh, aspectbiosystems.com, uh, and, and we have material there and access to our uh, social media channels and videos uh, and, uh, and and definitely reach out. Uh, and those would be the best ways to, to contact us. Okay. And then you know, I had to make one joke, but uh, in the future, you know, if you're crying, you can get a tissue for more than just your tears. You can get a tissue to fix your body. It's my bad joke. <laughs> that, that's a good one. I may have to use that. <laughs> All right. Well, very good, Tamara. Thank you for coming on the podcast, and I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Take care. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.